you will fail. It, it's part of life. You know, that's, it's part of learning. It's part of the learning curve. If you see failure as a negative, then yeah, it is negative. But once you switch your mindset to seeing failure as a learning opportunity, that changed the whole thing. Electric Soil Podcast. Imagination is the electric soil of creation. All right. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I have a guest today named Andre Veal. He is a recovery coach, mindfulness coach, author, and the CEO of The Recovery Lifestyle, which can be found at therecoverylifestyle.ca. So Andre, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, no, really good. I've, I've been looking forward to this interview for a while. Uh, just some backstory for the listeners. Uh, basically, I've, I did some uh, recovery coach certification as well through uh, the Addictions Academy. And that's where I met you. So you were doing a coaching call. We basically have the one week uh, every Tuesday at 8 a.m. My time anyways, uh, where we have uh, some like basically a speaker or a co- coach come on and we can kind of pick their brain a little bit. And you were actually uh, the first call that I came on to uh, was, was you hosting it. And I was like, man, this is great because fellow Canadian, you know, uh, kind of, you know, obviously a f- more than a few steps ahead of me. So it was just great to kind of see, you know, how, how you're navigating it and to sort of see your, your, uh, how you've designed your business and that you're thriving and everything else. So yeah, big inspiration for me. So yeah, I'm just super happy to have you on the show today. Well, I'm very happy to be here and it's a pr- pretty cool way that we connected. I'm happy that we did. Absolutely. Yeah, me too. So let's get into it here. Uh, obviously, I'd like to, you know, get an introductory uh, sort of interview that we're doing here. We'll get into your story. But uh, first, what drew you to this line of work as far as, you know, the recovery coach, you do some interventions and such as well. Uh, what's your, your backstory? Like, why are, what has sort of gotten to you to the point that you're very passionate about this? Obviously, this is your, your career, your, your lifestyle, essentially, as well. Um, yeah, let's, let's, let's go back in, uh, you know, the time machine and kind of go, go, go from the start with that. Well, what brought me to this is that uh, well, I went from being a, a businessman and then ended up being part of gangs and then part of where I am. And how that happened is PTSD. At one point in my life, uh, I went out with, uh, with some friends and uh, to, to a bar. And unfortunately, I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. And I got jumped by a street gang. And uh, that, that, caused, uh, that caused PTSD. I was in, in pretty rough shape. And not knowing what PTSD was at the time and so on, because my background was in sales and, and, and business, you know. So, uh, and I felt I was on top of the world. You know how you, how you, you feel when you're young, like you're Superman kind of thing, right? So, uh, all of a sudden, that, that bubble was bursted. And and, uh, and it really hit me hard, whereas uh, I pushed everybody away and so on. And I didn't know that was part of PTSD, but I pushed everyone away. And I was... Uh, attracted towards what hurt me which was street gangs right right and uh yeah that that often happens actually with ptsd so it's something that that i didn't know was happening you know and by the time i realized what was going on it was too late i was i was really in deep addiction and uh and really my life had that switched completely my personality my whole person was different right but i still knew something was wrong and i was trying to find help you know, and in this province where I live right now in New Brunswick, um, to be honest, the help is very hard to to come by. Uh, there, there's only two rehab centers here, and they're they're provincially run, and there's uh, over three months wait to get in. Oh wow! So yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, so when when uh, when I finally realized I had an option, you know, I woke up one morning and I had been trying to convince myself for probably over six months uh, to to stay alive. Every morning, wow. I had to tell I had to tell my tell myself to to not take my life, 
because I have a son and to me, I couldn't do that to him. Right. And uh, one morning I woke up, I couldn't do that. I couldn't convince myself to, to stay alive. So uh, uh, that morning, that choice was to either take my life or to actually allow myself to be vulnerable and ask for help. And uh, best thing I ever did. I called my, my family up, explained everything that was going on, where I was at, what was going on. And uh, within a week, I was in, in the treatment center outside of the province uh, that that I was lucky enough to have a, a family friend uh, offer to uh, loan us the money, uh, the family the money for us to for me to be able to go and so on. So with all that, uh, it, it once I, I went to rehab. It allowed me to to kind of connect with myself, which is something I had never done. I had been trying to please everyone my whole life, right? Living my life for everyone else. And, and I was able to recognize there that one of the reasons I had that that emptiness inside me is I wasn't doing what I wanted with my life. I was doing what, every, what every, everyone else wanted me to do, right? Right. So at that point, that's where I started doing some digging and realizing who I was, what's my strengths, what's my weaknesses, and so on, and come to realize that what makes me shine, what, what I love the most in life is helping other people. Mm. And, and now it's, how do I do that, right? So uh, I looked around and I said, hey, what, what's my goal in life? What's my purpose? And, and in meditation, because I meditate, it, it came to me that I, I, I'm here to help others, make sure that, that people don't have to suffer in silence the way I did. Right. And often people suffer in silence because of a lack of education. They're, they don't know what's out there. Families can't help their loved ones because they don't know what's out there. Right. Right. And, and that became my, my mission. Right. To educate myself the best I could in order to be able to help others. And so that that's how everything started. Within three months after rehab, I was into in university studying mental health and addiction and uh, got addicted to studying. So uh, after that, I traveled the world and I started studying a little bit everywhere else. I uh, I, I did mindfulness based addiction recovery with an amazing uh, uh, amazing woman called Valerie Mason John. Uh, she's based out of actually out of British Columbia. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Amazing program, by the way. And uh, that, that also, and every program that I did, every study that I did was never especially, uh, specifically for others. It was really to help myself. I okay. wanted knowledge. Yeah. I wanted to understand my brain. I wanted to understand how can somebody on top of everything end up where I was, right? And, 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 and that, that just, I just followed that path. It allowed me to do some, uh, I did a, a cohort with, with uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, I did a, a few other study, studies uh, that, that I really, really enjoyed. And I traveled all over the US, Canada, uh, Thailand, uh, Europe, to go see rehab centers and professionals uh, in the field, see how they're doing things. You know, how everyone else in the world is treating addiction, how they're seeing addiction, how they're approaching it. And, and because th there are different ways, you know, and that opened up my mind to seeing what the problem was in the industry. And the problem is we're trying to fit everyone in a box, mm. you know, addiction is different for everyone so why are we trying to help everyone create the same lifestyle when everyone has a different life a different past different future right completely so that hence why i i created the book the recovery lifestyle and why uh, i chose this approach to help people create a life where they don't feel the need to escape right so yeah so that's where uh, that that's a little bit of my past and, and why why I do what I do and why I love what I do so much. And then I saw how much it affected my family. So I, I had a lot of conversations with them, with a lot of other families to, to 
be able to help families as well, because there, there's a lack in, in the industry uh, for, for knowledge and help for families. Mm. Uh, so, so I started specializing a little bit in, in families and, and how to help them and help them understand, first of all, what codependency is, what enabling is, what addiction is. You know, it's, uh, it, it's hard when you're being told that addiction is one thing for the past 50 years. And, and now somebody's telling you, listen, it's something else kind of thing. Absolutely. No, so much good stuff there. Thank you uh, for being so, you know, forthcoming and honest with your story there. There's a, you know, I think any safe to say anybody that gets into this, uh, this field, you know, has, has a, you know, that pain point that was able to kind of pivot you into kind of going the opposite direction with it. So, you know, obviously, uh, you know, being vulnerable and, and just sharing your story, really appreciate that. Lots came out of there. I, uh, I, I, I'll start with the kind of the last thing you, you were talking about there, just the family, the family dynamics. So I was reading in your book, like you're, I believe the middle child of three, uh, three children. So, and yeah, that's uh, right. potentially that's where you know, the people pleasing came in. So you were able to sort of leverage the whole idea of always people pleasing into a much healthier sort of, you're still helping people, but I think yeah. it's a much healthier, what, what is, what is sort of the divide? What is the, like this, the split or the different mindset or the paradigm shift or whatever you may word it as between just genuinely helping people and people pleasing. One is obviously somewhat toxic to the person doing yeah. it. Whereas one is much more, uh, you know, full bodied and, but the same intent essentially. So how, what can you kind of describe as differences between the two? I'll make it very simple. I put myself first. Mm. it's as simple as that we try to complicate things eh? and that, that that's yeah. part of the problem you know it, it's uh, it's very simple i just put myself first you know and, and we grow up thinking that uh, being taught that that's selfish right hence why there's so many people pleasers out there right now it's selfish if you do something with it, it without thinking of what it could, how it could impact others. Mm. But yeah, that, that can be selfish. But when you're doing something because it's in your best interest, it's better for your life, it's better for your health, it's better for you, and you need to do it for yourself, that, that's, that's self-care. You know, right. that's self-love, right? That, okay, brilliant. That's yeah. exactly, okay, the difference between being selfish or uh, or, or, or self-care, right? To, which a lot of people yeah. do misconstrue, right? Because like you say, you've been kind of conditioned to think that, you know, uh, taking care of yourself is somehow selfish, which is strange, strange to think, but no, that's, thanks for clearing that up. Let's uh, get into and that. A good that's example. Uh, just, yeah. just a quick example. Of course. Uh, when I was in active addiction, I helped a few of my friends, uh, realize they needed to go to detox, Oh. but I wouldn't go myself, but I could help others do it. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But I wasn't thinking myself first. I was just pushing, helping other people. Why? Because that's the same thing. When you do that, you're doing the same thing that the drugs do to you. Mm. The drugs allow you allow you to escape from the pain you have inside. When you're helping other people, you're escaping from your own pain and you're helping other people and you're getting something out of it too. When you help somebody, right. you get something out of it too, right? And that good feeling that you get is addictive because you feel you feel like sh pardon the word, but you feel yeah. like shit right. all the time. Right. And all of a sudden you help somebody and you feel you feel valuable. You feel like you have value in this life. Very interesting. Right? Yeah, I've never thought of it like that, but yeah, completely. No, that's and that's where the uh, the trap is is set basically, right? That's very interesting. That's right. Very interesting. So you, yeah, you talked a little bit about let's talk about like fi family dynamics because you obviously have the interest in you know family. You're a family recovery coach as well, certified. 
And obviously, yeah, like you, you sort of mentioned, there is like the different dynamics. So you have, I mean, not to necessarily label, but to, for you know, simplicity's sake, you know, you'll have the enabler or the, uh, you know, the person that just maybe the mom justifies and actually helps a, a certain type mm -hmm. of enabling us or the people that deny it, just go, you know, there's no problem. He'll be fine. He'll, he'll, you know, he, him or her will, you know, pull it out of the nose, you know, the nosedive that they're in or that kind of thing. Right. So yeah, what... I'm just kind of interested with that. I mean, how, how do you approach that when there's, there's so many different dynamics in a family and you're in there to kind of basically mediate that? How do you, what is your approach with that? Well, my approach when I'm working with families, first of all, help them understand where they, where they stand in that family dynamic, right? Mm. Oftentimes uh, we tend to lie to ourselves, right? In, in order to, to be able to feel better about ourselves, right? Mm. And, and and we can get through life that way. That's not a problem. But when you're when you're trying to help a loved one, uh, because you're pointing the finger of this loved one, they're 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 uh, in active addiction. They need help. 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 Well, there's one thing my father always told me when I was uh, when I was growing up is when you're pointing the finger at someone, there's four other fingers pointing back at you, right? Right. So ask yourself, what's my role in this? Without putting blame on yourself, because that's the worst thing that could happen in a family. As, as, as soon as you start putting blame on yourself for your loved one's behaviors, now you're 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 uh, you're creating some. How do you say that? You're um, yeah, you're, you're creating issues because now now you feel like you're to blame. Mm. So you don't want to help that person because now you're bringing that to light. You know, uh, I have shame. It's my fault. Sure. So, sure. But now you don't want to help as much because you're afraid that you'll be blamed. Right. right. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 So it's, 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 it's really helping the family understand where they're at. Okay. You're the enabler. That's okay. Mm -hmm. That's okay that you're the enabler. Now that we know it, you didn't know, you know, we don't, we don't grow up understanding what the enablers are and so on. When you have a child, you don't get a booklet that says, Hey, this is called enabling. Right. 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 Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, so I start, I, I, I work with family and help them understand where they stand and, and what their part was in the enabling. And how can they stop the enabling? How can they put their boundaries in order to no longer enable, not to punish their loved one, right? To help themselves, help. right? Yeah, and it's really to help themselves, right? Because everybody in the family, when somebody steps into recovery, the whole family steps into recovery. Mm, sure, yeah. And I say that, and they say, "Well, we're not using." No, but you're in recovery from enabling and codependency. Ah, yes. The whole family. Sure. And if, if you relapse into enabling or codependency, you're bringing the odds up that you'll bring your loved one back into addiction. Right. Hmm. Right. Interesting. So you have to very much go in with a big picture. Sounds like, um, like awareness and education are the two kind of, there's my cat, uh, the two kind of key phrases, I guess, right? The awareness yeah. is, uh, is, especially when it's behavior that it's almost like autopilot, that it's all you know, and you haven't really second guessed it because a lot of times it's uh, like you say, there is shame or whatever else uh, kind of made up, you know, it wrapped up in it, right? So uh, just getting awareness without judgment by the sounds of it, right? It's like, it's, it's yeah. okay. We know now it's not like we're going to judge you for it. You didn't know any better. And then educate, right. educating them. And from there, uh, you can kind of move together as a family unit. Is that sort of the, the that's right. summary? Get, get away of this. Get rid of the secrecy. Right. That's the, most right. that's the most toxic thing you have in a family unit when there's addiction. Mm. Because everybody thinks everybody uh, thinks that the, the, their loved one's behavior is going to reflect on them. And it's going to bring shame to the family and all this stuff. Sure, and, sure. And, and that causes more problems because now 
you, you, you feel forced to enable, okay, I'm going to cover for my loved one because I don't want them to know I'm going to do that. I'm going to do, and that just makes the, the addiction for their loved one even worse. You know? mm. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Adds to the layering basically. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, we are yeah. talking about uh, like we were saying with families and stigma and kind of worrying about, uh, you know, people's other people's perceptions and that sort of thing. Let's talk a little bit about that. Cause I know that's one of your mission statements or one of your sort of values as, as yourself, as your brand and so forth is ending the stigma that prevents people from asking help. Right. Cause that's always the first one there. And you, even yourself, it sounded like you had a challenging, very challenging uh, time with it as far as it took you the better part, you know, six months, like you were saying, and waking up every day, deciding if it's, you know, today is the day. Uh, so I guess, what do you, what can you say about that? If there is somebody listening to this podcast right now, as far as, like you say, just ending the stigma that prevents people from asking help. Yes. The, the, one of the big parts of stigma is that, uh, asking for help is weakness, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and, and especially for, for, uh, for, for men, I don't like to, to differentiate genders, but unfortunately we have, to, because in society as, uh, how often do you hear parents telling their children or a young boy stop crying you're not a girl or man totally. up completely or girl yeah. you know what i mean mm -hmm. and this causes young uh, young males to think that having emotions is is a is a weakness mm. asking for help is a weakness right so it, it's starting to understand that vulnerability is actually a strength because lying to everyone and, and just continuing in the same routine that's easy that's something that somebody's been doing. Is it painful? It's very painful, but mm. it's easy to sure. continue in the same pattern, right? But stopping that pattern to ask for help, now that takes strength. Mm. So whoever does that, to me, gains my respect. To me, I have so much respect for anyone that's able to say, hey, you know what? I need help. You know what? Can you guide me through this? Mm. Because whether it's addiction or anything in life, it not even addiction. We we see it as taboo in addiction. But look anywhere else. Look, look at any CEO, any business person. They all tell you to have a mentor. Why? Because you need help. You need guidance. Yeah. Right? So why is it stigmatized when it comes to addiction? That's a very good point, actually. Yeah. I like how you reframe that. Yeah. And that's all it's all about, right? I think when you're getting rid of stigmas and and, and, and fallacies, it's like it's, it's almost thoughts or perceptions that haven't been challenged enough yeah. and just the way you reframe it i mean it sounds so logical but yet it's not expressed in that way but the way that you yeah. that you you're you're literally flipping the way that you know we generally view asking for help and that's i love your analogy that you used great as far as yeah exactly ceos are in business it's used as a strength oh i got a mentor you know it's almost like a bragging point yet when you're doing it in this context it's somehow it's it's uh viewed as like weak so i but i love that analogy very good very good i love it how much else uh, does uh, something as far as like reframing, does it come in as far as, for example, being like a recovery coach? Because there's going to be a lot of, let's face it, there's going to be, you're catching somebody at sort of their, a very, you know, potentially rock bottom or coming out of their rock bottom moment. Uh, you know, so how much of the reframing is important to these, these folks that you're dealing with as far as, you know, obviously you're going to have to deal with to a degree, uh, you know, what got them to that stage. But the whole idea of coaching is the action, you know, taking action, uh, looking forward to your life. So how much is like the, the term reframing, how much does that come up and what sort of tools or tricks, like tricks is the kind of a trite word, but you know what I mean? Tools or, yep. um, you know, conversations do you have to kind of get the, the ball rolling to take those actions? Yeah. Well, reframing is a big part of it, you know, because your mindset and switching your, your perception because like I tell everyone, you live the life you perceive. 
Mm. Whatever you perceive, that's what you're living. So if you perceive something as hard, it's going to be hard. If you perceive something as easy, it's going to be easier. You know, it's not going to be, uh, there's always some difficulty, you know, but, but reframing is such an important part of not only recovery in life to, to always be open, open-minded, you know, rigid thinking is, is where you plateau. Mm. As soon as you start having rigid thinking, that's where you plateau because now you're no longer open to learning. Mm. right to growing to to growth and so on so reframing 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 is very important there's different ways to do it and it's important to do it in the way that you're comfortable as a practitioner right i'm not going to tell you to do it this way i do analogies because i write and i write analogies and i love analogies so i use analogies a lot because it helps people uh, be in the in a, in a situation they understand because addiction addiction is like talking to somebody about a photocopier nobody wants to talk about it nobody understands them Right. So, yeah. so you have to put it. <laughs> yeah. So you have to put it in a way that they, they, they could relate. Mm. Right. Uh, it, it's it, it's the best. I'll give you just just a little example. Often I talk with parents and they say they're awful parents. It's my fault. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have that. And, and then I give them an example. Just to help them reframe their thought. I asked them, OK, when I grew up, I had two parents. They're still married, still together. Uh, good members of the community. I have a brother and a sister. We were three siblings. I'm the only one that went through addiction. Is it my parents' fault? If if my parents were such bad parents, wouldn't my brother and my sister also be uh, gone through addiction? Sure. Right. And then then I go in and I, it allows me to explain why. You know, in life we all perceive things differently. Mm. Ten people could see the same thing. You ask them their experience. They have ten different experiences. Because we experience and we live life differently. We perceive things different. The way my parents were raising me, my two, my brother, my sister, they raised us all the same way. But the way their style of parenting was great for my brother and my sister because they perceive and they see life the same way. Mm. I don't. I perceive life. I see things in a very different way than my, my brother, my sister, and my parents. So the way they were raising us was amazing for them, was not so good for me. Was it their fault? Not at all. They were doing the best they could with what they had. They raised me with love, with, with you know what I mean? Mm. They did the best they could with what they had. And we have to accept the reality that 100% of parents screw up their kids. You know, that, that's yeah. just a reality. Yeah. You know, we do the best we can, but we don't perceive life the same way. So sometimes we'll do things that will affect our children. Do we do it purposely? No, we don't. But it will affect them. Mm. All we do as parents, we try to do it the least amount of times possible in their life, <laughs> right? <laughs> sure. But but it's reality. Accepting these things, accepting that that uh, that suffering is part of the human condition. Yes. That yes. it doesn't take away suffering, but it makes it easier to, because you know that it's it's part of life. You have to go through the suffering in order to be able to appreciate the good times. Without the suffering and the bad times, you'd have a neutral life. There would never be happy moments or bad moments. Completely. Because without the happy moments, you can't recognize the bad moments. Without the bad moments, you can't recognize the happy moments. Brilliant. So good. When you're talking about, um, I, I like the idea that you're talking about self-acceptance as well. Let's, let's go back into that subject. Uh, you had mentioned in your book, uh, I, I really like the quote. And uh, sorry, one one quick uh, backtrack to the analogies thing. I love it. Uh, it. For me, analogies are, it's like that light bulb moment. As soon as I hear uh you know, uh, an analogy that really clicks, like you say, it's an experience that maybe I've had myself. It's like, boom, ah, now I get it. It comes from this like vague 
sort of like, you know, content, it's information getting passed. But as soon as you attach like a story or something that you can like sink your teeth into, it's like, boom, now I get it. So completely know what you're talking about with that. I, I, I love that. Thanks for uh, wording it as such. Um, but yeah, just back to uh, your book there, when you were mentioning uh, sort of finding yourself, the, the term that you used or the, the quote you used was, uh, you had the honor of meeting yourself for the first time, which I thought, man, that's brilliant. It's such a good, great way of putting it. So what did that mean to you? And I, obviously, I kind of went hand in hand with, with your meditation, I would assume. So when you're kind of, I guess, dropping into it, learning how to meditate, learning how to, you know, I guess, what did that look for you? Because obviously, meditation as well is different to different folks. Uh, can you explain a little bit about that time in your life? Yes, for sure. Uh, and I'll be honest, I was the person that used to say, I can't meditate. I've got ADHD. There's no way. I can, my, my brain doesn't stop. I can't stop thinking that it's impossible. And I said this to so many professionals that were trying to help me by telling me to meditate. Right. But nobody actually explained what meditation is, you know. So for me, when I went to rehab, I was able to, to learn uh, the basics, I guess, uh, of meditation. But it, it just enough to get me intrigued. Right. And and, and I'll be honest, uh, I was struggling with the meditation until I I, uh, I heard the uh, the fuck it meditation. Okay. And sorry for the word, but but, yeah. but that's what it is. You know, <laughs> that that was the first meditation that allowed me to realize that meditation doesn't have to be so serious, mm. right? Meditation, and I teach meditation to some people. And meditation is not about not always about quieting your mind and, and having no thoughts, because in reality, the only day you'll have zero thoughts is when you die. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So well, I don't want to have no thoughts because I love life, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> the, the really what, what I tell people to, to release, relieve that, that stress of not being able to and so on is that no meditation is about sitting with yourself for 10, five, 10, 15 minutes, however long you, you can sitting with yourself with no judgment. Mm. You know, all day we tell ourselves, oh, I should have done that. I should have, oh, I'm no good. Oh, why did I do that? Oh, man, I suck. Oh, that always happens to me. Oh, and we have all these, these 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 ways of talking to ourselves that we would never accept anyone else to talk to us that sure, way. But sure. we do it to ourselves, you know. Yeah. So this is a moment that, that you honor yourself and you sit in silence and you just observe your thoughts. They're going to be there. Accept that you're going to have thoughts. Because if you don't, as soon as you have one, oh, I'm thinking again, and you're out of your meditation, right? right so right. just accept accept you'll have thoughts. When they come, just observe them. They're, they're neither good or bad. They're just a thought. And by doing this, what happens is for me, anyways, if I sit in meditation for two, three, four days in a row, and there's one thought that I recognize that's, that keeps coming back every time I sit into meditation, then... I know it's time for me to address this because mm. obviously it's affecting my life in a negative way because I keep thinking about it. I don't judge it during my meditation, but I recognize it. Hmm. So, so it doesn't put the pressure on, on me or on anyone to sit there in silence thinking that they'll have no thoughts. Right. Right. Yeah. So anyway, for me, that's, that's what allowed me to, to, uh, to get to know myself and to meet myself, like I said, for the first time and not only through the meditation, but through therapy uh, that it, it allowed me to put all those those labels I had on that I had put on myself to protect myself away, to put all those uh, expectations that that are put on us by society, by family, by any everyone around us. Because as we grow, we become the person people want us to become, mm. whether we like it or not. As a child, you're told this, you're told this, this is how life is, this is how you do things. This, so so 
you're molded into who you are today. Now, as an adult, the good news is we have a choice. We can be that person if we're, if we're happy being that person that we've been molded into, or we could break that mold and be the person that we want to be, that we were meant to be, right? And once I realized that, that was my big click. Man, I don't have to be what people want me to be. I could be who I am. You know, I could, I could choose what I want to be, who I want to be. And, and I started on that journey and wow, it just, that, that, that emptiness that I had inside me my whole life dissipated because now I had, I, I was on the journey that I was, I was supposed to be on, you know, to me, it was such an honor to be able to, to, to accept the, 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 every part of me, you know, mm. sometimes we try to put away the, ah, oh, I don't like when I get mad or I don't like, no, we all get mad. It's okay to get mad. If you don't mm. get mad, you'll get walked all over. Sure. You know, it's okay to have that. These are there for protection, to protect ourselves. It's just we need to use them in the right moments in life, right? Right, right. So that's why I was honored to to meet myself that much because my whole life, I wasn't myself, mm. you know? I was who everybody else wanted me to be. Yeah, people loved me, but I didn't love me. Ah, man, powerful, right? powerful. I love when you're talking about, let's, let's talk a little bit more about this meditation. And, and I, I very much agree with you. Is like, it was the trickiest thing for me to, but I, I had the light bulb moment. And I think it was, you know, listening to some of the uh, Eckhart Tolle uh, audiobooks where he, it, it was this, I think last year, even when I uh, started getting into his work and, and he talks about being sort of the watcher is how he phrases it, where you're the, the awareness behind your thoughts, realizing that there's two separate things going on there. And even then I, I, I found it fascinating but I, I, I admittedly I don't didn't quite know what he was talking about until I started kind of I mean eventually you can kind of again as I the, the awareness part as soon as you're sort of aware of looking for that you kind of you can kind of feel this divide you know oh that's where that sweet spot is and then like your analogy of just like it's like you know thoughts is passing I guess I, I'll use the analogy of like you're passing cars or you know you're on a river and it's like the leaves on top of the the river going by and just let them go by and you, you're the you're watching them and you're aware of them but you're not getting hard on yourself for having thoughts because to your point I mean it's good that you're having thoughts right because you're you're still alive yeah. so which is great uh we talk a lot about like the the negative bias obviously and everybody I'm, I'm I'm certain that's listening has that yeah like to your point it's like you come home and you're like oh man why did I say that one thing to that person that way and that's just I think that's whether it's you know a bit degree of survival mechanism, um, you know it's uh, things that come up in our head that uh, you know we perceive as a mistake, and it's you know it's it, for the benefit of us uh, doing better, or you know even potentially comes out of like the whole uh, not getting killed kind of thing, right? It's obviously a different story now than the caveman days and all that, but I believe it's kind of that's the lineage of like the negative bias that we have is is kind of a protection type thing. But when you're not uh, dwelling on it and you're kind of getting into that other shift and you're saying uh, you're getting into more of a growth mindset and you're going, okay, I'm, you're more of accepting of yourself. How long did it come uh, take you to kind of get to that stage of meditation where you're, you're uh, I guess, getting out of like the, uh, the usual clutter as far as, you know, what we're talking with the negative bias stuff and getting into, hey, okay, there's something else going on here. And you're starting getting into these like feelings using your imagination or visions or whatever it may be of what you can do after you get out of, uh, you know, the rehab and, and when did that shift happen? And, and, you know, I guess how long did it take to get there? And was it a gradual process? I'm just kind of fascinated by that whole, those whole steps that you took there. Yeah. I'll be honest. It, it's, uh, and, and this is just my opinion, but anybody that could give you an exact date on when they, they accomplished their growth is, is, uh, it's bullshit. 
<laughs> because they're, they're not. It, it's a continuous thing. Mm. You know, I, I st- I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still it's a continuous thing. I still talk down to myself sometimes, you know, mm. but the difference is now I recognize it. Mm. I catch myself and I reframe it, right? We frame it for, we, we can reframe for clients, but we have to do it for ourselves as well. You know, it's part of our growth Completely. as well. Yeah. You know, so yeah, there, there's a big shift that happened in that moment when I started meditating and so on. And then I took my med, most of the, a lot of growth happened when I took my meditation facilitator course, because in this course it's called naturality. And it's all about, uh, getting back to your innate nature, your innate self. Right. Cool. So th- this whole program w- was about me learning to get back to my innate self, you know, in order to be able to teach others how to do it. Mm. So a lot of, a lot of growth uh, came from that as well. And then I was lucky enough to meet uh, Valerie Mason John when I went to uh, United Kingdom and I did her training and her certification and became very close with her. So I was able to learn a lot through her and and her journey and how, like, I know she's a fascinating woman and she really helped me uh, through all that. And I I was lucky enough and blessed to be able to go co-facilitate with her in Thailand and, and learn through her there too in New York and a few places like that. So all these things were made available to me. Mm. You know, when I was in active addiction, these opportunities never came. Right. But after when I got out of uh, active addiction and when I started healing and started getting into growth mindset and so on, I started, I I read a book and I started understanding what omens were. Mm. Right. And I started having my eyes open to omens you know, to, to, to what the, the, the universe was bringing me and so on. And all these opportunities were, were, were appearing and I was awake enough or, or I was seeing the opportunities. Whereas before I was living life on autopilot and I could only see the opportunities that I wanted to see mm. that I was striving for. Now I opened up my blinders and I could see opportunities all over the ones that are meant for me, not the ones that I, I want, you know, we try, we try to control life. Really, life controls us. We just need to be there to, to govern it, right? Mm. So, so I, I changed my mentality. I, I stopped trying to force things. Now, with that said, that's a lifelong process. I caught myself doing the same thing a year and a half ago and had to take a step back because I had my mindset: this is my this is my purpose. This is what I'm going to do. This one, and I, I was driving myself nuts trying mm. to accomplish something when that, in reality, that wasn't my purpose. You know, my purpose is helping people. And I thought opening a rehab was my way to do it. You know, that was my purpose. But really, my purpose was helping people. It wasn't opening a rehab. Opening a rehab was a way for me to help people. Mm, you know, I got once it. I reckon once I recognize that, I was able to put that aside. If that's in my cards, it will happen one day, you know, but I'm no longer forcing it. Mm. That's just to give you an example. If you try to force something, you're swimming against the current. Take a step back. Look at your life. What's going on? If I'm swimming against the current, there's something that I'm not seeing, right? So, yeah. And you're talking, I think, a lot about, like you're saying, omens or, you know, following your intuition. I think a lot of people, you know, have, have some problems with that as far as, like, the, you know, whether it's a fear of failure or a fear of success. Uh, I guess, what can you say to people? Because there is, if, if you are truly in a growth mindset, uh, but it's kind of coupled with, a, like, a hesitancy uh, or, like, you don't quite have that self-belief, uh, how, how do you navigate that? Cause certainly you would have had moments of self-doubt on your journey. How did you navigate that and go, no, no, this, you know, where, where does faith kind of come in, uh, depending on, you know, spirituality, whatever it may be, uh, you know, with, 
how does that sort of factor in when you are sort of pursuing this? Because there is a lot of stuff I think, uh, you know, people can look back at two years, uh, two years ago, go, wow, I would have thought that would have been impossible, but yet it happened. I'm fairly certain, you know, sounds like you may be traveling the world. If you would have told yourself, your old self that you would have been like, not a chance, right? So yeah, I guess where yeah, does that lie as far as when you're, you know, in that personal development and, and I guess believing in yourself or believing in, uh, you know, the universe, I guess, as far as uh, yeah. following your intuition, what can you, what can you say about that? Well, well faith is important. Whatever faith you, you there, it's important ever to push faith on people. Let people choose their own faith. That's number one, mm, right? Sure. Uh, number two, very important thing to know is that you will fail. Mm. It, it's part of life. You know, that's, it's part of learning. It's part of the learning curve. If you see failure as a negative, then yeah, it is negative. But once you switch your mindset to seeing failure as a learning opportunity, that changed the whole thing. People pay how much? 50, 60, 70, $100,000 to go to a university to learn, mm, right? Sure. All this cost is a little bit of pain. That, that You know what I mean? So you do, you, you will, you will fail at things. I don't call it failing. I call it a learning opportunity, mm. right? Because if you learn from it, it's not failure. Just like people say that uh, relapse is bad. I don't think so. It is bad if you say it's bad. If you get down on yourself and you stay in that row in that in that wheel and you, you know, but if you relapse and then you say, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. what happened here? Mm. How did this happen? Why did I get there? And you learn from it. It's a very positive experience, yeah. right? So it's really how you see things, what your mindset is on things. Uh, it, it changes everything. I don't know if that answers your question, but it I completely does. No, it's a it, man. That's just, I, I love your quote on failure. Cause I completely, uh, you know, believe the same way. Like certain words like manipulate and failure always have these like negative connotations, but in the proper context, I mean, failure, you can't, again, what we're talking about to circle back to when you're, you can't have the light without the light, without the dark, you can't have the high moments without the low moments. It's the exact same thing. You can't have true success without having it on the backs of many failures, which in your case is, as you mentioned, is, is a learning opportunity. So I just love it. No, the way that you, you explained it is, is tremendous. So thanks. Thanks for getting into it like that. Um, but yeah, speaking of uh, some of your learning experiences, it sounds just incredible. Just the, uh, the amount of, um, you know, learning that you did and who you learned off of and traveling the world. And so it just very much uh, set you up for what you're doing now. Uh, just a really full bodied uh, look outlook on recovering such. What are some of the different, uh, and you mentioned a little bit earlier, let's, let's unpack it a bit. What are some of the different uh, cultural uh, expectations or perceptions around the world of recovery and addiction and so forth? And how does it differ from what we're used to here in North America? Well, I'll be honest, there, there's a lot of similarities uh, all over the world, right? Mm. And, and the reason there's there's a lot of similarities all over the world is that uh, this 12-step program has been around all over the world for so long. And, and that that's what we've based recovery on for so long, sure. right? So most recovery programs, most uh, professionals and so on base their knowledge on that research and what was done with the 12 steps and so on. So, so we see this all over the world, right? Now, the thing is, uh, drugs have changed, life has changed, society has changed and so on. So the approach, it needs to be more multifaceted, right? And that, that's what I've seen uh, when traveling is that the places where they allow the people that are in recovery 
to have more choices as mm. to what type of recovery they're looking for are seeing more success. Okay. Right? Yeah. As soon as you, you take somebody and you say, now you're in recovery, this is what you have to do. How do you like being told what to do? Yeah, not, nobody not so much. <laughs> no, nobody yeah. likes to be told what to do. You know, we're, we're, we're human beings. We, we we have the opportunity and the, the capability of making our own decisions, right? So once you get into, one thing that I do agree is that, yes, when you're in active addiction, you are powerless, mm. right? You're, mm-hmm. you're powerless over needing to use because y- your brain has been rewired. You, you no longer have the capabilities to say, I don't want this, because now your brain sees the the substance the same way we see water or food. Mm. It's a necessity. If it doesn't have it, it needs it. Mm. And your body goes through the same type of of things that it would if you stop eating for five days. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, okay. So so it's, uh, it's really important to allow people to, yeah, to to drive the, to to be the drivers in, in the recovery to really choose what kind of recovery they want. For some people, that's sobriety. That's, and, and that's good. For some people, it's harm reduction. Mm. And that's good. We need to change our perception of what recovery is. Recovery does not equal sobriety. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, we wonder yeah. why there's so much relapse. Well, we need to stop telling people that they're going to relapse. Every rehab center you go to tells people you're going to relapse. Expect it. You're going to relapse. You're going to relapse. You're going to relapse. Well, there's there's so many studies out there that show that if you tell somebody before an exam, you're going to fail, you're going to fail, you're going to fail, you're going to fail, they're going to fail. Mm. But if you tell them you're not going to fail, you're not going to fail, you're not going to fail, they're going to do well. But yet we do this in the recovery world. Weird, eh? Right? Yeah. So what I tell my clients is that you don't have to. It's, it's, you're the driver now. You were... You know, you were powerless in active addiction. Once you step into recovery, you've regained your power. Mm. Now you have the power of decision on your actions. Every choice you make brings you closer to recovery or further from it. Mm. I like that. Right? Yeah. So once once you're in recovery, you've regained your power of decision. I decide I want to work on my recovery. I decide I want to fill my time with good activities. I, I decide what people I hang out with. I decide what I eat, what I put in my body. I decide what career I want. I decide, you know, Yeah. now you're in full control, right? When you're in full control though, you have to accept any consequences mm. because once we get into recovery, what most people do is they stay in victim mode. Well, sure. Sure. And when you're in victim mode, it's hard. Growth is very hard. Life is hard, right? You might've been a victim, and that might have brought you into addiction. You might have been a victim uh, while you were in addiction. But once you're in recovery, you're no longer a victim. You've been a victim of something, but you're not a victim. Just like you've been through addiction, but you're not an addict. Mm. Right? Brilliant. My dad had cancer. I don't call him cancer. Yeah. He's been through cancer. Right. Right? I'm not an addict. I've been through addiction. Mm. And, I've he- and I've healed. Just like. I know somebody that had type 2 diabetes, right? Type 2 diabetes is happens when you have when throughout your life you have bad habits. You either don't eat well or you don't sleep enough or whatever. Your your lifestyle brings on type 2 diabetes, right? Once you find out you have type 2 diabetes, now you have an option. 
you could be you 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 know you could be on insulin for the rest of your life and continue that lifestyle or you could change your lifestyle and no longer need the insulin and heal from the type 2 diabetes and no longer need the insulin now if you haven't been using insulin for two three four years are are you still a diabetic right no yeah you you've had diabetes and you've healed from it but for the rest of your life you need to be mindful not to go back to that lifestyle to eating that way sleeping that way doing that lifestyle or you will get type 2 diabetes again same thing in addiction once you realize you have a problem and you start working on it and you're no longer using and you're actively working on it and so on and you, are you still an addict no you've been through addiction right and now you're in the healing process but for the rest of your life you need to be mindful not to go back to those behaviors or you will fall into addiction again right right so that's the way that's the way i like to to approach it and teach my my clients and my families and so on that you can heal from addiction mm. and I, i'm living proof because i feel from addiction i have ptsd that still bothers me mm. uh, at some point but never never does a thought come to my mind that i need substance to take care of it right never. That's not part. That's not part of my tool chest anymore. Why? Because I did the work to go find the underlying cause. Because addiction is a coping mechanism, you know. So I find what the underlying cause. I found what the underlying cause of my addiction was, and I did the healing. And I still heal on those things, and I learned new coping skills. So now I don't need the substance no more as a coping skill. I found other ones and I found the why, why I needed this. Mm. Now, for some people, addiction is a lifelong journey. For some people, it is a lifelong disease. Why? Because for some people, it's a lifelong journey to figure out what that underlying cause is. Right. You know, for some people, they don't even look for it. And that's okay because it is painful to look for. Mm. Right. And we don't, you need to be well surrounded and so on in order to, to open up that can of worms. So for some people, it's better not to. Right. So that's why for some people, harm reduction works and for some it doesn't you have to find that underlying cause and start the healing process to it in order to get rid of that coping skill completely no great stuff great stuff that reminds me it's a very much a, you talked about gobber mate and that's that's his big um you know rock that he hits i think is uh very much and i i'd heard that i think a couple of years ago and it really stuck with me uh, the, I, and the way that he worded it very similar to what you'd said is as far as like addiction is not the, it's, it's like a, the, the secondary problem to the root problem is why we're using it in the first place. Kind of what you're mentioning there. Right. So, and I thought it was like, man, that is, that's so true. And, and yeah, to your point, I can see where, yeah, exactly. Some people don't want to, and are going to forever have their guard up with it. So then at that point, that's when you start looking at, yeah, like to your point, like said, harm reduction or different other, uh, methods. So there is a lot of nuance to, well, I mean, there's a lot of nuance to everybody's personality. So, of course, there then should be nuance to the way that you help them and coach them and so forth. So, yeah, it totally makes sense. And, yeah, just the way you're, you're explaining it is just tremendous. Um, I just – and it always – it seems all roads kind of lead, lean back to your brand, the, the recovery lifestyle. Everything that you're talking about is like, you know, creating a lifestyle that is sustainable, that, that gets you to the point where you're happy with your true self and, uh, and it's, you know, I guess the main thing is sustainable, right? Sustainable for you and your family. It's a well-rounded approach. When you go back to like, just like the innate, uh, you I talked about the naturality uh, process and the yeah. innate, how does somebody know when they've like, is it just a feeling? Is it intuition? How would you characterize it where you're like, 
Ah, because I think that's one of the main questions. And I'm, I'm 40 now and I have a lot of friends that are kind of, you know, you kind of reach the stage where you've just gone through life with a degree of autopilot and you start wondering, is there something more? Am I doing, you start having this like, and that, that's where these midlife crises come in, things of that nature. <laughs> how do you truly know? Is it just a feeling uh, that you have? Um, how would you characterize that? How do you know that, how do you know that you've tapped into your true self? Well, I'll be honest, your true self is, is a moving target, hmm. right? Because we, we evolve. The person I am today hmm. is different than the person I was yesterday. The person I am tomorrow is different than the person I, I am today. You know, so that, that's, that's a kind of a moving target. So what, what I look for more is purpose. What's your purpose, hmm. right? Because someone without a purpose, why would you wake up in the morning? Sure. If you got no purpose, right? Mm. And often that's just, that that's the issue. Often we don't have a purpose, or we don't know, or uh, we don't have a clear definition of what our purpose is, right? Right. And we don't have a clear definition of what our guiding principles are. To me, that's the most important tool, not only in recovery in life. This should be taught to kids in schools. I speak in schools, right? Mm. And this is one of the things that I offer in schools is I talk to kids about their their guiding principles. Why? Because your guiding principles. That, that's your GPS in life. Mm. You know, that that's what prevents you from taking a wrong turn. Now, if, if you're able to identify three to five guiding principles and every decision you make in life, you look, OK, is this in line with my guiding principles? If yes, it's probably a good decision. Mm. If it's not in line with one of your guiding principles, you're on a slippery slope. Sure. Right. Right. So this is something I would have liked to know before I fell into addiction. Right. Because. It would have gone, gone uh, not towards my, my guiding principles. So that would have been a red flag, you know. So the guiding principles are, are very important to, to work on to get to know yourself. That's part of knowing yourself. And then you write that and you have that in your wallet at all times. Mm, Why? Like because if if you're stuck in anxiety mode, if you're stuck in, stuck in trauma mode or triggered, your mind doesn't work the same way. So even if you, oh, I know my guiding principles, I can guarantee you that there's instances where you won't be able to remember them because you're triggered. Mm. So if you have it in your wallet, that should be in your wallet and your contacts, your support network, all your phone numbers and the names of your support network should always be in your wallet because when you're triggered, you, you don't think straight. Right. Right. So those are the two things that are very important to have in your wallet of all, at all times and to find your innate self. Well, your innate self, like I said, will change, but your innate self, will be very close to those guiding principles. Ah, okay. That totally right? makes sense. So, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so when you say principles, I guess that would be the same, similar to like values or something that you hold tight as far as like, a, yeah, yeah. Okay. I get what you mean. I get what you mean. Yeah. I, I love that idea. Having them in your wallet there along with a certain context, completely true. As soon as you're under stress, it's like people turn into different people generally. Like some people close off, some people become these bombastic personalities, you know, some people become angry, right? So, uh, and some people yeah. just kind of stiffen up and they're stoic. And so, yeah, again, we're talking nuances of personality. So I love those types of, um, you know, uh, the habits, I said it as tricks, habits is a much better word, uh, yeah. as far as, uh, you know, really keeping you, keeping you on the, on the right path. So love it. Love it. Uh, yeah. Thanks for your time. I, well, we're going to wind it down here. I always have a couple of fun questions, uh, sort of at the end here. Uh, I think we've pretty much covered it all. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's been, this has been some great stuff, Andre. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. 
Uh, My pleasure. And so, yeah, a couple things. So uh, I always, because I'm a big music guy, I have a second podcast. It's all about music. What are you listening to today? Uh, if we looked at like maybe your Spotify playlist, uh, what it, or if you're going to the gym or out for a walk or whatever, what is uh, what are you currently listening to? Well, you might be surprised because people can't see me, but I'm full of tattoos, big beard, and so on. But my uh, my playlist uh, consists of a lot of positive stuff. Uh, I listen to. I don't know if you know Fia, no. but uh, very very powerful artist, uh, okay. and it's all about about growth, about about human potential, about it's uh, it's very positive, and, and that's cool. another trick that I, I give all my clients is look at your look at what you listen to, what you watch, what's on your uh, your Facebook page. You mm. have to do a cleanup. If every time you open your Facebook, it's all negative stuff, well, Facebook's very negative. But mm. if everything on your Facebook, when you look at your page, you're you're signed on to all this positive stuff, well, you're getting a positive boost when you look at it. Totally. Same thing with your music. If you're listening to music that's telling you, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm triggered, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna whatever, you know, your body goes in, whether you like it or not, uh, your body goes into fight mode. Totally. Right. <laughs> yeah. So so it, it's really. When we say recovery, you have to watch what you put in your body. Mm. That's not just food. That's not just food. That's content. You know, what you listen to, what you watch, that's all stuff that you're putting into your body. Totally. Right? Yeah, yeah. So that's a great answer. That's really cool. I've never even thought about that. But yeah, there is like frequencies and, and music have such an effect on people, right? You're, you're totally right. Usually people listen to like, you know, heavy metal when they go to the gym because it makes them angry, right? So the same yeah. kind of idea. No, that's, that's super cool. Okay. Sounds like you're a well-traveled individual. If just, for example, pandemic is just not even in, in the picture right now. If you had three locations to travel to right now, where would you go and why? Wow. That's an interesting one, eh? Yeah. Uh, yes. Bali. Bali's one of them because uh, I I've always wanted to to visit Bali. Cool. Um, apart from that, it would be there's beyond anywhere where it's uh, real. I'm mm. not the I'm not the I'm not the resort type of guy. Okay. I, I'm more I'm more of the I want to immerse myself in, in, in the culture. I want to learn about the culture. I want to learn cool. about the people. I want to learn about the place. So anywhere, I want to visit the whole world, to be honest. So anywhere that I could, I could really immerse myself and, and, and learn from other people and, and, and grow. So stay out of the resorts basically. Yeah. For me. Yes. Completely. That, completely. Pros and cons yeah. to everything, right? No, I, I totally get it. So you want like the immersive experience. Love it. Love it. And last question today, Andre Veal, where can we find you online? All right. So you can find me on Facebook under uh, my, my name, Andre Veal, or under uh, company name, Hope Recovery Coaching. Uh, you can also find me on uh, my webpage, which is therecoverylifestyle.ca. And I'm actually launching my online group coaching program. It's a six-week program for families, specifically designed for families. And uh, it's going to be uh, the first cohort starts on January 15th. Uh, and I'll be uh, launching it on my on my page soon. So uh, keep your eyes open when it comes out. Uh, there will be for the first cohort fifty uh, percent off. Nice. So uh, it's going to be half price. And uh, if it's anybody that's coming uh, from this podcast that listened to this podcast and, and and they're wanting to be part of this as a family, uh, let me know. Uh, if they reach out to me directly, I'll give them an extra discount. Uh, oh. I won't say I won't say out loud what it is, but sure. just. Uh, ha if they contact me directly, I'll be happy to give them an extra discount off that 50% just for that first cohort. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. 
And again, thank you for coming on the show. Just some brilliant stuff here. Uh, great. I'd love to have you back on, you know, maybe in the new year after you kind of get some of these, uh, these other projects rolling. Also got to highly recommend, we've mentioned your book a few times on here. It is available on your site. It's the same name as the website. So The Recovery Lifestyle, a tremendous book. You can get it on Kindle as well as on Amazon. So super easy and accessible. You can get paperback or the Kindle edition as mentioned. So Andre, thank you so much for coming on the show again today. Uh, definitely I'd like to have you back on and uh, some great stuff here today. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Matt. Anytime. Anytime.